Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends, here it comes. Get ready for some awesome. Yep, you know what it means. It's that time of year. It's time to get ready for some awesome. It is that time. It's uh, the March wrap-up, and I'm here with Jonathan P. Stormont, who... It's not my middle name. Yeah, whatever. I was told um, just Sunday night that uh, you and I are a cute couple. <laughs> Gosh. I don't know what I think about that. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to choose to be offended. You're going to choose just, to be offended? Yeah, just pairing me up with you. I feel like that's a good thing for you. Right. No, <laughs> I bet you would. <laughs> you, you, you can't imagine anybody better for anybody. You love you some you. <laughs> like Terrell Owens of the podcast world. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true at all. I, you know what Jesus said? Love your neighbor as yourself. If you don't have oh, healthy right. self-love. And that love, is the, that's the trajectory how you got I'm, to where you're at. It is. Just, I need to love my neighbor more. Yeah. So. Start by loving gosh, yourself. Gosh, I guess. Hey, if you think this podcast is about you, it's something. <laughs> Dude, I totally used that joke a month ago in a sermon on vainglory. Really? On, to quote the great theologian Justin Bieber, <laughs> if you like the way you look that much. Then you should go and love yourself. How did that go over? Not well in first <laughs> service. <laughs> I, did, I did a, I did a, a, a joke with Montel Jordan a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Just for the kids, you know? <laughs> crickets. It was absolute crickets. Two people came up and said, I want you to know I laughed about that. I was like, no, you didn't because I would have heard you because <laughs> you no one else made a sound. <laughs> Last week at Holy Week Luncheon, which is predominantly octogenarians at the, at the thing, that's a nice I, way to say old people, right? Yeah, I made a joke that, and this would this went over like Brad Pitt at a friend's reunion. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing. What does a, a pit have to do with a friend? I don't understand. Yeah. It was not uh, like I should have known. Who would have? That's not a good joke. Who would have thought that, that joke wouldn't have done great with the <laughs> senior citizens? Who are? I should have gone more Barney Fife and Andy Griffith show kind of. Yeah, yeah, that's probably a better option. So, yeah. so is that what you just do these days? You work on your Justin Bieber and pop culture references all day? <laughs> yeah, that's it. I mean, is that not the life of a preacher? <laughs> you basically just are on Cracked.com all the time. Okay, that'll work. I don't even know what that is. TMZ. Yeah, TMZ. I know that one. Yeah. You know what TMZ stands for? Mm-mm. Nope. It's, it's kind of interesting. 30 mile zone. 30 miles around Hollywood. Huh. They are... That is where they break their stories. There's been a, there was a fascinating piece like a couple of years ago about the guy who um, started TMZ did it because he was tired of people getting away with stuff just because they were famous. So it, it was kind of a justice thing for him. Because he's a lawyer, right? Harvey, yeah, he Harvey was a lawyer. Lev, something, something like that? Something so like that, So he's a lawyer. Yeah. He doesn't uh, want famous people to get away with stuff. And now what is he doing? He's... Showing people, yeah. yeah Did you yeah. see the guy uh, from Prison Break? There's a story that was just out yesterday where a picture of him a couple years ago, and he had supposedly gained a lot of weight. He, I mean, he didn't seem like he was obese or anything, but he had gotten bigger than when he was on the show. And someone was, like, fat-shaming him for it. And he said, hmm. 
that picture, which was, became a meme and people said, you know, when, when you break out of prison and find M- McDonald's, this is what happens to you or something. And he said he was in a very depressed state during that time and he was obviously using food or he was saying he was using food as a coping mechanism. But that sort of like gossip TMZ kind of story, like picked at him during one of his darkest moments and led mm-hmm. to even more depression. So thanks a lot, TMZ. You're helping out that yeah. guy for sure. Dude, if, if somebody could stop fat shaming, I would have had a totally different junior high experience. I could tell you that. Um, so what have you been up to today? Uh, you know, just praying like I usually do. Uh, a lot of, <laughs> okay. I, did, yeah, I was, um, I was down on the UT campus just a little while ago. We've got a guy who's a strength coach for UT and, uh, went down there. I, I thought he was trying to get me to do a workout. Like I thought he wanted me to try out for the football team, but Mm, yeah, that would be where you yeah. would go with that. Turns out they're not looking for a 34-year-old slot receivers who run 5240s. I don't know <laughs> I don't know why that's they're so judgmental about the, that these days. It's weird. Yeah, no kidding. They could Yeah. learn something from that little story about TMZ. Yeah. They're they're shaming They are. They are. It. Yeah. Okay, so um let's get into this. How many times are we going to hear from GK Chesterton today? You you are actually going to hear from G.K. Chesterton twice because your your guest brought up a couple of things that I thought people need to know. Chesterton has said some brilliant stuff Have about that. Have you read any book that wasn't written by G.K. Chesterton in the last two years? <laughs> oh, gosh. I, I have read uh, – well, one, I read Rob Bell's Did you really read it? New book. Yeah, I did. Um, mainly because – to prepare for this because every time – you have an interview with Rob. I know it's going to be another month of you just being unbearable. What? How am yes, I unbearable yes. about interviewing just a, a guest for the podcast? A friend. D- just a, friend a guest. Yeah. I think a fun drinking game to play, if you were inclined to play those kind of games, would be to take a drink every time you mention Rob Bell started his podcast after being <laughs> on yours. But that would be a dangerous thing because then you would quickly become an alcoholic. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah, what all I'm trying to do is for my new listeners who don't know the backstory, I didn't want them to think that I was giving a skewed opinion about something. I wanted to put all the cards on the table. Right. No, that that sounds like you have this way of reframing stuff in the most godly way, um, pro Luke way. No, no. I, it, yeah. Let me tell You're you really something. At that. This podcast right here is a no spin zone. I'm just oh, I, I'm just trying to make it? everything as factual and accurate as possible. That's all I'm doing. Yeah, no, that's that's what comes to mind when I think of you. Factual mm-hmm. and accurate. Yeah. So you read the book, huh? Did you like it? I did. I did. Oh, man, I, I Rob Bell's such a great writer um and communicator and, and I actually liked this book um a lot. I've actually recommended it to several people because of his the, – the, I felt like he was tapping into some deep Christian resources on creativity that are often neglected, and he was making it really accessible for people who aren't theologians to get why, why this is such a, a big thing in the Christian story. The, the creativity part, why that's such a big part of the mm-hmm. Christian story. Yeah. Yeah. And – I like that when he's on your podcast, he comes across to me like he's more Mars Hill Rob Bell than than Oprah. What do you Rob mean by Bell. that? What's more Mars Hill Rob than Oprah Rob? 
Well, I mean, like pastor at a Christian church, Rob Bell, versus um, speaking to the masses. Like on other times, I've heard him. He'll he'll be like, you know, okay, so you don't believe in God, the universe. And it's like, all right, okay, well, I do believe in God and this particular Christian story that you also believe in. So I, I just like he's more, you know. Thank you. He, he I, uses, I think what you're saying talk- is that I bring the best out of him. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I think it's just like I'm a Jesus person. I feel like that it just radiates with my guests, and I think that's what friendship does. Like I bring the mm. best out of him. Yeah. I think this is how Glenn Close started in her movie, in the movie no. Fatal Attraction. She was just like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I bring I really the best do, in him. I don't, I don't understand. Yeah. I should, he should only be around yeah. me. Speaking of that, I don't know why he would do other podcasts. Like I don't understand. Yeah. Do like, you feel betrayed? Sure. Aaron Rodgers got him to do a little blurb on the back. I mean, have I thought about going up there and, <laughs> you know, going all Tanya Harding on him? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> but it's for the best of him. I'm, I'm trying to help him. Yeah, no. You should totally try that There's with Aaron Rodgers. Why no? No, no. That's, that's. This can't double um, check this. <laughs> okay, let's go back to the Rob thing. So, he does. <laughs> Do the okay. So if if God's you know too low of a word for you, say whatever you want, like universe or energy, right? Yeah. But I feel like part of what Rob's trying to do is he's trying to take a message that um, wouldn't be well received if it was in the same wrappings that he was doing early Mars Hill career, and I think he's learning how to repackage it, but taking the same content. The, the same heart of what he's doing to different audience, which means he's going to have to translate it to different people. <clears throat> Yeah, so I don't I don't doubt that at all. I actually I I think I heard I heard him say something one time about if you know why somebody is doing something, you can understand the what. And I think that is right for for there's plenty of of Rob Bell haters out there. And I understand where they're coming from too because, you know, it's well, you were a Christian pastor and now you're talking about the universe or, or instead of God, you know, and and Jesus, the yeah. Son of God. Yeah, I get that. Um, you know, we were, we when we hung out with Richard Rohr that time, he talked about the cosmic Christ, which I, I think I said to you strikes me as really interesting stuff. Um, and I think it is the the platform on which Rob's ministry is now, like the trajectory of what he's doing, like. Um, but I like when he is on your show, it's more Jesus of Nazareth than hmm. Cosmic so Christ. I did a conversation with uh, Zach Lind, who's uh, Rob's friend, and Rob mentions him in his newest book. And Zach was, or is, still is, uh, in the band Jimmy Eat World. And I talked to, to, yeah. to Zach about the process of being in a band for two decades. And as a musician, your preferences and your style, it's going to evolve and it's going to change. And when that happens your audience doesn't always change with you, right? Like, so Mumford & Son most recently got rid of the banjo in their new album. And that, like, they got in some serious yeah. trouble for that. Like, people were like, oh, Mumford, it means banjo. We don't want Mumford without banjo. But as an artist, you're going to change and evolve. And I think, you know, Rob, he's going to change and evolve as a person who's been doing what he's doing for a couple decades now. And so I think it makes sense for his work to change. But just like a lot of Mumford & Son fans didn't like when they got rid of the banjo. A lot of people don't like when Rob changes to what he's doing, but that's 
I don't think it's fair to expect someone to be exactly the same right now as where they were you know, two right. decades ago. The um, uh, the guy, one of the guys I work with, Scott, his dad is a preacher, and he has this great line where uh, his dad used to say, "If you're going to quote me, date me," because people change. Hmm. It. And what I said ten years ago and twenty years ago, it's not fair for me to be to be held to that. I, I like I like we said yeah. already. I, if you know what Rob's trying to do, I think you can interpret it more. If you're from the old crowd and the old audience, which he grew up with, if you see, oh, I, know, I get what he's trying to do now. Yeah, you know, part of I think part of the challenge is he was so good at what he was doing, you know, like doing actual text mm-hmm. work and context, and here's what the the Gospel yeah. of Mark means when it's saying this, and you know, that's. And he he still does that occasionally. Like even in this book, he he doesn't. He says, you know, I, my training's as a Christian pastor, and old habits die hard. I think is a line in there. Um, so I get that, and I'm I don't. Is the the big deal for you that you have to write your own sermons now? That it's hard <laughs> to take the Robcast or this book and just use it for seven months of sermons. Yeah, it's like gosh, now I gotta just change. Change every time he mentions universe into God. <laughs> <laughs> That's the real difficult part. Oh, yeah. I like his connection of creativity with God, and that's where it all starts. Yep, and, me too. You know, God is a creative God. And so whenever you're doing a creative endeavor, you are doing a godly endeavor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. I, and, you know, he talked about Elizabeth Gilbert. Did you ever see her TED Talk? Uh, I don't – I'm not 100% sure. The woman who ate, who uh, wrote Eat, Pray, yeah, yeah, I know Eat, she Pray, is, Love. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So she has this brilliant thing on that. I'm actually preaching on it in two weeks where she talks about how in the ancient world it used to be that people um, – nobody was a genius. People had geniuses. Yeah. You saw that? No, I've listened to her, her – I might have seen the TED Talk. I've heard her talk about it. This is from Big Magic, her newest book. Okay, yeah. Well, th- it was the TED Talk is how I got introduced to the concept. And how she quoted some famous African-American poet who, when she was a little girl, like out in the fields, said that um, a poem would come to her and she would run back to the house to try to get it down on paper before it went to someone else. So creativity, you know, even our even our words like amusement without muse has this. Mm People had muses. People had geniuses. And what happened in the last couple hundred years is that we started saying people are geniuses, which put the crushing weight of being creative on people. And so if if like somebody didn't like what they were doing, then it was a personal attack versus before they could say, well, I guess you didn't like my muse. You didn't like yeah. – Do you? The, I, I'm sure there's been times that you've had a sermon idea, and so you immediately – Write it down, yeah. Evernote it, email it to yourself, whatever. Do you feel like if – I mean are, are you comfortable with that mystical of an, of an attitude towards like creativity? Like, okay, if you don't write this idea down, then it's going to go you know, over to Memphis and Josh Ross is going to rip it off. Yeah, I think the Christian terminology oh, – yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think Christian terminology for it is and, – and I'd like to put these two ideas together – is a word from the Lord. Hmm. And I, most preachers I know would say at certain points there was one moment where they did not have something and the next moment they did. 
and it took a, maybe took a lot of work to kind of flesh that out what that was going to look like but um the that's why this book and Elizabeth Gilbert's idea resonates so deeply with me because I I think most preachers experience or any creative person um experience something like this and that is the creative god that yeah. is who god's always been and you know it's not necessarily muses or outside genius it is the spirit of god giving us a word a poem a mm-hmm. you know, a painting whatever yeah. and yeah I like no that. i definitely agree and i and i definitely if people listen to the podcast they know i'm heavily influenced by stephen pressfield when it comes to the idea of art and um, you know the process. Yeah. Like I think you you show up and you you put your butt in the seat, and amazingly the muse shows up more when you show up to do the work. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it's an everyday. You've got to grind, and then things show up, and that's how the creative process work works. But like going back to the first part of this conversation, okay, if you say you know the muse shows up, or you say you know the Lord, okay, in a sense you you probably are talking about the same thing. If to, mm, there's a lot of commonality in both of those ideas. One of those right. is going to be well-received by the majority audience, and some are not going to receive it. Whereas, I, I don't know. I think, you know, Rob's making choices about who's going to be able to, to, to hear what he has to say. Right. And that's— And I appreciate those choices, and I'm glad yeah. that he is um, thinking about people who there's no, you know, no, like, Andy Stanley TV program yeah. is, is going yeah. to reach. Did, um, did you hear uh, his stuff about craft versus success? You remember, you remember that? Yes. We talked about this in May last year when uh, when we recorded one, uh, me, him, and Richard Beck. He talked about craft for success back then. And so the idea has been in my head for a while. And I realized, well, the reason he talked about it is because he had just turned this book in last May to Harper One that came out just now. Yeah. Right. But this craft versus, idea, versus success thing makes so much sense to me. Where like you, you're starting off and you're working to be successful, to be invited, to be asked to do something, to be on a certain stage. But eventually you realize, man, that does not hold up. And it just becomes like the joy right. of doing the work. Like I just love mm-hmm. what I get to do. Do you ever find yourself – do you feel like you've ever – you've made that switch? Or do you feel like that, that metaphor doesn't hold to, to your journey as um, – as a preacher. No, actually I remember that podcast last year and thinking, cause he said, he was talking about our age. We're pretty much the same age. There is something around 33, 34, 35 where I think if I remember correctly, he said, what got you here won't yes, get you there yeah, or something right. like that. And, um, that rang true with me then and still does like the, the stuff that drove me when I was 20, does not drive me anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it, although the joy of doing the stuff that I wanted to be known for doing yeah. when I was 20 when, does drive me. When I was me. 20, I don't know if I ever said this out loud, and I'm kind of embarrassed to even say it right now, but I, my thought was when I'm 30, like 10 years from now, I want to be the preacher of a thousand-member church. And that was a, like a mm-hmm. motivator. Like this is where I want to be in 10 years. And... Over the, over the years, that became a non-issue for me. Like, it never became what I thought it would be. And you realize, man, if that's really the goal, you're, you're going you're gonna to crumble because there's nothing sustainable about, I want to have outward success. Like, that's going to make 
that's that's not gonna make me sleep well at night like that's never gonna be it because it's just gonna be you just have to raise the bar a little bit higher and it's oh i want to be a 10,000 member church and then i want to write this book and do that all of that's empty if if you don't just see that in this moment right here be here this is all you have this is the real work and that's the gift that you give yeah is by being present in that that's right his story at the end of it and this is chesterton antidote part one his story at the end of it where he talked about getting hit on the head Mm -hmm. i loved that story where he was he was in it he wasn't out of it he was more in it than ever before because he couldn't he didn't have a a past or a future he was just you know enamored by a microwave burrito and when he Mm -hmm. saw his kids he saw him for the first time um that is wonder and and Chesterton, he wrote a book called Man Alive. It was a fiction book that was a real big seller back in the day. And in it, it was about this guy who was arrested for robbery, adultery, because that used to get you arrested back in the day, and um, murder. And then the police realized – that guy was just super happy, joyful, filled with wonder. And the p- police realized he had broken into his own house. <laughs> he had had an affair with his own wife and some some uh, – <laughs> philosopher had talked about how life was not worth living so he pulled out a gun and said would you like me to help you end it and and the philosopher you know was like well, maybe it's worth living after all um but it was all about that big principle which has led me to a lot of joy and wonder which is the thing that is actually happening right in front of you stop taking mm-hmm. it for granted if if you were experiencing it for the first time you would be able to see it as it mm-hmm. really is that's and that's that's what Rob was trying to do in that book, and I think Chesterton was trying to do his. Yeah, yeah. Joy and wonder, or you say joy and gratitude. I, I feel like wonder and gratitude seem to go hand in hand with the way that you're describing it. But yeah, I keep coming back to more and more like gratitude is the name of the game. Like if you don't learn mm-hmm. to choose and practice gratitude, you will miss what's right in front of you. That is. That's right. Yeah. If you want to call it wonder, that's cool. It's same thing. Okay. Anything else on Rob you want to mention? No. It's- Glad you got to do it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was fun. Good guy. Good guy. Um, did you hear his thing about like comparing the LeBron James comparison? Oh, <laughs> dude, that, that made me laugh so much. His stuff on, yeah, that's where the comparison breaks down. <laughs> He's so witty. He was, that was such a quick response. Yeah. Yeah, I also liked that he tried steering you towards counseling at one point <laughs> when when you were like, okay, let's say a guy has some daddy issues, <laughs> and he just took you at face value. He knew something was wrong, <laughs> so he was like, yeah, you know, there are trained professionals. No, who, he wasn't who talking actually... to me. He was pointing at someone else. <laughs> it was a hypothetical, man. Come yeah, on. he got pretty concrete no, with that hypothetical. I you're misunderstanding. I thought I could hear a card sliding across the table. <laughs> First of all, I already have a counselor. Thank you very much. And she said I'm pretty much perfect. So Did she also say, please never mention my name? <laughs> I don't want to take credit no. for this piece of work. No, she did refer me to someone else. And so that's where I'm going to a new guy right now. Okay, uh, speaking of new guys, let's talk about a new guy. Peter Rollins, my dad's best friend in the world. I like that your dad was he there. Was, he was giddy as a schoolboy. You could tell. It was like Randy that one time when we were hanging out with Yes, Rollins. yeah. Randy just yeah. like almost had like one quarter of a smile. That's <laughs> as giddy as Brother Randy gets. Yeah. Oh, brother, goodness. Yeah, um, yeah my, it was... 
I set a mic out beforehand because I knew my dad was going to ask a question. And my dad said, oh, I don't need hmm. that. I don't need that. <laughs> what are you doing that for? And then, yeah, of course. So, uh, so Pete Rollins, the uh, conversation about uh, good transcendence. Did mm-hmm. you hear that question? Like, is there such a thing as a good transcendence? Well, Richard asked oh, that question, right? right? Yeah. Um, but, he, yeah, basically in response to Rollins. Yeah, what do you think about that? Uh, do you think there's a good transcendence? Oh, yeah, I, I do. Um, I th- so your, your thing to, to him, you said you're kind of like the chemotherapy for mm-hmm. – um, which is a really needed thing, yeah. right? If you have cancer, but if you live off chemotherapy, you're not going to live because it, it does kill everything. I think that's a good metaphor for that. I think you and I got that I think from Wade. our preacher buddy, yeah, Wade, Wade Hodges. Hodges yeah. Um, I a couple of things that stand out to me about Rollins is I, I do appreciate that he turns his chemo on on secular liturgies and idols as well as religious mm-hmm. ones. Um, the it is really hard for him to make a positive move towards like you know. Like I was thinking about that video he had from a few years ago that was really, really good on when people ask him if he denies the resurrection. No, Do you I remember don't remember that one? that one. Dude, you should Google that. Okay. He, it's it's like the end of a sermon where he says, "Yeah, I deny the resurrection. Every time I fail to care for the poor, every time I turn my back oh, on the good. lonely, I deny the resurrection." Really yeah, good. I mean, it. He, he does the negative move better than anybody. I know. Yeah. Um, but and, and I need that. Like, I need the negative sometimes because often I feel like we make the positive move the only move there is. Yeah, that's true. And that's so you true. go to church and everything's up and positive. And I don't, I've, I feel like I'm an optimistic person, like, especially compared to like Richard Beck when we talk. Like, I'm, I'm a positive, optimistic person. Like you, you're probably optimistic, right? Would you say? Yeah. Randy Harris would say it's a form of mental illness to be optimistic. <laughs> But so I typically lean on the, you know, that side. But when that's the whole diet, like it's positive, everything's good. It's just re- it's just Sunday morning resurrection. It's not Good Friday of like death in the absence of God. I feel like something's missing. And so I need, maybe I just need to l- listen to more emo music from back in the day or something. But I need there to be an expression that makes sense of the darkness of life. And I need something to give me language to express that in a way that, that incorporates and includes God into that. And that's what I like about what Pete does. You're right. I, here's, here's my, my take on this, and we'll, we'll probably get into this with the part on Richard Beck. I, I think white people of European descent who are middle class and up need this mm-hmm. um, more than people from other— Why is that? Why do demographics? Because— um, I think it is easy for us to isolate ourselves from the suffering of the world and think the positive moves, move is all there is. The reason that in both my experience and people like Richard Beck's experience, why certain things sound like good news that don't necessarily sound like good news to us is because it is possible for us to ignore large amounts of suffering in the world. And, mm-hmm. and what we define as suffering is, you know, granted, it, I don't want to make light of of you know people suffer in all different kinds of demographics but um it is real easy for us to ignore ignore 
the suffering of the world while we're wearing clothes made by people who are actually suffering for us to buy them for yeah. $10. Yeah, for sure. Um, but, but, you know, the other thing I would say to that, and this is uh, – Peter Rollins did get closer to making a positive move than I'd ever heard before in this one because there was a, a sense of of – transcendence about when he says things like you're then you're standing in the fields of the divine um when he's talking about how death lead thinking about death holding death close leads us to life and and greater joy that resonates with me so much why is that um because it's true i mean in the same sense that um chesterton points a a a pistol at that guy makes him appreciate life on my desktop from last year, I did a series called How to Die and went and um, this guy from – this Christian from Iran who goes to Highland um, told me about a Muslim tradition he grew up doing where you go lay in an open grave. Mm-hmm. Did I tell you about this? Yes. Yeah, that sounds like a Randy Harris thing. But yeah. He I, totally did it with us. Yeah. Yeah, I remember you telling the story like you laid in an empty – Burial plot or something like that? Yeah. Before cast- I, I took a picture from laying down there after I spent 10 minutes in there, and I have it on my desktop. Huh. It, That's, it I mean, is a great reminder that I don't life, – life is a gift. Yeah. So. Well, that's kind of – And that's what I think Peter Rollins can do. That kind of chemotherapy can kill yeah. our sense of entitlement and um, – Okay, so okay, that's the benefit of what he does. Now, the question, like I think we tried to go to earlier, like about good transcendence. Mm-hmm. There was a question: Do you think there is such thing as good transcendence, though? Um, yes, I do think there is a sense in good transcendence. But Richard's, Richard, I think Richard is right. The reason that Peter Rollins, I think, does what he does so powerfully is because he grew up in Ireland when Catholics and Protestants were killing each other. Um, because of their their notions of transcendence, and I would I would you know y'all talked a lot about Job in in that interview, which was great by the way. Job is the earliest critique of theodicy. Yeah, uh, great point. I would like to talk about Jonah. Why is Jonah talk? Because um, that is that is what transcendence can do, especially the transcendent God in the Christian sense. I can't imagine a group of people coming up with a God who says, you should love your enemies. Yeah. And I can't imagine people loving their enemies without that sense of transcendence. Yeah, that's true. So Will Willimon has a story, and I I don't know the – I can't remember the details, but basically of talking to to a young woman in Ireland whose husband was shot on her front door. Um, and they tried to kill her and her kids as well. I can't remember if she was Protestant or Catholic, but it was that. Uh, it was all about that. And he he said, "You don't see me. You don't strike me as bitter." And she said, "It's because I pray the Lord's Prayer every day. Hmm. And when I when I get to forgive us our debts, as we've forgiven our debtors, I I know I'm not without blood on my hands. Hmm. And so I I have had to learn how to forgive." And love even those people. Yeah, yeah. There's a. L- I think that's good transcendence. That's good. Yeah. There's a lot that you could look at with any religion, including our religion, and say, yeah, that's clearly fabricated for people, and they're perpetuating something that's all made up and whatever. Blah blah blah. 
But no one's going to make up the love your enemy part. Like no one's going right. to say forgive those who've wronged you. No one's going to do that. No one's going to say, yeah, this is a, a great way to create this cult of people that you know you can micromanage and exploit or whatever by making them do the most counterintuitive thing for any human to do, which is to yeah. love the people who are not loving to them and to forgive the people who've taken their loved ones. No one, no one's going to say that. So I'd like to hear like what Rollins would say to that, like to Jonah. Um, yeah, because I would imagine. I think he he would probably say. I, I think I would, I'd just like to hear what he would say. I've had multiple people say something to the extent of, "I would love to have Rollins talk about this. I would love to have Rollins talk about that." Yeah. I don't know what it is about Rollins that elicits that response more than anyone else, but he's provocative, man. He and and he. You, you get the impression that he uh, does not think like just about anybody else, and he also doesn't really filter out those bits that yeah. you know would keep him on the inside of certain circles, which means he's it's kind of electric. Yeah, yeah. There's a, a Jay Z song that uh, has this Will Ferrell clip from some movie. I don't know what it says, but w- which movie it is. But Will Ferrell says, "No one knows what that means. It's just evocative." But I can't say the name of the song because I'm a white guy, and I'm not going to say that word. So Gotcha. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> it's a, a group of people in Paris that um, – anyway, moving on. Next subject <laughs> before I get in serious trouble. Uh, <laughs> you, are, you are on thin ice, friend. Yes. Um, at one point he said – I remember there was a line that he said something like, so you run from your pain – by getting drunk or doing or drugs going or to going church. to church. Yes. And I was like – well, hold on. <laughs> are those all things that are trying to do the same thing? Yeah. That... And if so, what church have you been to? Yeah. I mean, I, I think he probably is talking about some kind of raptured pie in the sky yeah. theology. But then in the very next breath, he talks about the difference between a bar and an Irish pub. A sports bar and an Irish pub. Right. And that, you know, one's pop music that's meant to make you forget and the other's uh, – Filled with community that helps you bear up underneath the pain. The music is it has parts about death and parts about life. Mm-hmm. And I just found myself thinking, I think that when he thinks of pub, that is closer to what I have in mind when I think of church. How would do you know what I mean? Explain that. You think of an authentic well, group of mean, people who are sharing their suffering together. That's yeah, what, and helping each other bear up underneath it. The songs are not only about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, you know we we gather every Sunday. We gather around Jesus's death, and you know, say this is what this God's version of success looks yeah. like. So that that, that um, sounds more like well, if if his comparison was you know American sports bar versus an Irish pub, there are plenty of churches that have the sports bar feel where you know it's sure, just about. Sure. Let's keep the noise up so no one can hear their silence. Let's make sure everyone's entertained. Let's sure make, make sure everyone is buzzed in, in one form or fashion or another, and no one has to deal with reality. Because that's what sports really are. I mean, we're, that's the entertainment business. They're entertaining you so you don't have to stop, pause, and listen. Whereas the Irish pub, it's going the opposite direction saying, tell us exactly what you feel. And there are churches, like you're saying, that do that really, really well, that, that invite people into that, that type of community, and people are being confessional and... You know, you have people getting together talking about what it means to have a son who who passed away way too early and how they share that grief together. 
that's, yeah, that's the kind of church I think we, we all want to be, not that the caricature as seen in the sports bar. But we probably wouldn't be as aware of the caricature if it wasn't for people like Exactly, yeah. I mean, that's so everyone needs some that's not true. Not everyone needs some chemotherapy. Don't uh, I heard Luke say that I need some chemotherapy. <laughs> yeah. I want to go to the doctor and get me some prescriptions for that. I don't think anybody's confusing you for a doctor. <laughs> That's just I don't yeah. see why you said that so matter of fact. I mean, someone might. Who knows? Yeah, no, I'm I'm almost certain. You know who is that. a doctor? Richard Beck. That's true. Dr. Richard Beck. Not a medical doctor. So we had him on, and uh, he talked about uh, what's it like to be a part of a church where you don't always agree with the preacher, <laughs> which I knew that's something he definitely knew a whole lot about. Do you yeah. think there is a support group of people from your church who are just absolutely sick and tired of hearing of G.K. Chesterton? Not yet. I think they're probably searching each other out right now. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like Marco Polo, just... <laughs> Chesterton, GK. I wonder, like, as you always talk about him, and I make fun of that, I wonder if there's someone who is, like, my equivalent of Chesterton. I guess it would probably be Jesus, right? A Backstreet Boy? I would say Jesus. Jesus is what I was saying. (laughs) Did you hear what I said? No. A Backstreet Boy? Sorry, I don't don't speak hater. (laughs) I don't understand that. So, bye, bye, bye. Which Backstreet Boy would it be? I think I just quoted NSYNC. Uh, first of all, I'm more NSYNC than Backstreet. You did, because you want to be Justin Timberlake. That's why. I didn't say that. I have a, yeah. a bulletin sitting here in which someone from my church is comparing me to a guy named Liam from uh, the new, I don't know, One Direction, I think. is. You you know. know. You are just pretending not no, to know I'm now. I'm looking for it. I can't. Uh, some, what, there's a direction involved. I don't. I don't I, have their albums or anything. Not all of them. I just have a few. <laughs> I literally could not tell you one song that One Direction sings. Okay. Truth. If it was Justin Bieber, I can tell you his songs. Anyway, yeah. let's go back to old Richard Beck. I, I loved the Becks. Huh? I love the Becks. I was just saying that too. Um, let's talk about the fragile worshiper stuff. Yeah. So we talked about in that podcast um, our lack of um, proclivities. Towards substitutionary atonement, substitutionary penal atonement. How? Yeah. Both of us are not saying that's our favorite uh, image for atonement. Uh, I think Richard's is even stronger than mine, uh, but both of us are not big fans of it. And so we're. Uh, I'm at a event, uh, church event, last Friday. Um, that's our church was participating in, and one of my elders' wives said. So we don't like substitutionary atonement? And I said, don't say that too loud because a lot of people are going to talk about substitutionary atonement tonight, so don't bring that up. Um, so I thought, oh, that's nice. Um, because that's a common thing, and you're around people that are going to worship and use that language in uh, a plethora of church experiences in America. And I, I, I think uh, your buddy old Brandon Scott Thomas was telling me that N.T. Wright was emailing him about uh, the song In Christ Alone. And, yeah. and how he typically suggests people replace the phrase uh, and God and the wrath of God was satisfied in that song and replace it with the love of God. Yeah. And I completely get that. Like you want to change the words and make it fit exactly what fits in your theological framework. Um, and so I do that. Like I lean that direction. And there are times that I do that on that song. Like you sing it to yourself or quietly. Yeah. Don't act like you've never done that. 
No, I have. What do you but do? What's, that song. What song do you do it on? Um, I'll fly away. I or uh, wait. What's the Chris Tomlin version of Amazing My Grace? My chains are gone. Yeah, yeah. Where he, the earth will soon dissolve it's like no, snow. Yeah. Um, I'll change that. Yeah, the idea that the earth is going to dissolve and that we're just going to yeah have this escape to a different world to heaven. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we all, but I think what Richard is pushing us towards is saying. Let's let's be big enough here where we can all yeah. kind of respect one another and realize that there are going to be different attitudes about those things. Right, and I, I love it. First off, I love it because you know I, I preach at the church that he attends, and I wish everybody had that kind of maturity when it comes to stuff like that. What if every time you said something, Richard disagreed with, he just raised like a little oh. red flag? <laughs> like, <laughs> like he's a tennis ump or something? Ref. Oh, gosh, that would be... <laughs> I don't know that the flags would come down often. If, I mean, if other, everybody had someone that option. would have a flag up during every every point. time. Yeah. Just this past Sunday, we had a couple different people on Easter say something about something that we had done at communion, and um, that same day, several people came up like with tears in their eyes, being like, "That was the most amazing thing." And, you know, yeah. it's just part of being in community, and that's that's his point. Yeah. So you can't be fragile or – what was the other word he used? Fragile or – uh, Brittle. Yeah, brittle. Brittle. That's it, yeah. Yep. I, I like Richard because he makes me feel not so alone. What do you mean? Um, I, don't, I don't know where I belong these days. I've had – I've been written off by plenty of people who, you know – because I ask questions um, who are my more conservative brothers and sisters. And the stuff that Richard's talking about, there is a, a, a sense of great irony that it's hard to be in community with other progressive Christians because we, some of us got kicked out of community because we um, didn't believe exactly like they, they did. And so when those things come up, we were allergic to certain things. Um, or it just really bothers us because it makes us, you know, think of. Uh, so it's hard. To, it's hard to find a community of people who who um, don't have the same kind of mentality of of well, you got to believe this or you're out of the group exactly yeah. like this. You know what I'm saying mm-hmm. there? Um, I I get it. I have I have certain allergies too. Do you remember going through grad school? Did you go through like a jerky or anything? Uh, did you say year? I, I feel like yeah, that's so, underselling exactly what I went through. There were times when I was a, a grad student that I would listen to preachers, and I would just like, oh, they said one thing wrong, and I can't <laughs> listen to the rest of the sermon. And yeah, couldn't yeah. go to different churches because I was so critical. And it took me a couple years out of grad school to like spit out the bones, keep the meat, and say, this is not sustainable, this isn't healthy, this isn't good for me. And it took me a while before I could worship in a normal ser- service without being just a complete jerk. And yeah, so I yeah. definitely went through that. But that's a difference in, and, and, but that's know, a difference in your experience and mine, because you were working full-time with people who were saying things that wouldn't coincide with maybe what your grad school professor is saying, and you learned to love them, and you stayed in community with them. I went straight into grad school. I mean, I was like 20 or 21 when I started grad school, and... Th- that's all I knew. And so I was doing some church stuff, but it wasn't a full-time gig. And I think that's one of the 
the shortcomings of doing seminary without full-time church work at the same time. Yeah, I, I actually like that too. And to be clear, I'm not putting this on like my professors or anything. One of the things oh, that oh, saved can me. Can I interrupt you there? I'm not putting it on my professors either. That's all about me. No, you were, and I'm trying to. I'm trying well, to. Well, I mean, as the one person who really has a graduate degree in here, I don't want to be the one <laughs> who's insulting graduate education. Oh, you, you are. No, I'm just saying, like, your mini-masters and my real masters, like, they're not the same thing. I have... It does not say mini-masters on it. It just says masters. I thought it was like an iPad mini for grad school. (laughs) So it's... Yeah, basically. So Jeff Childers, one of my professors who really helped me stop being a jerk, because although I was working with people, um, I would just um, think it, you know, like, oh, poor poor person who thinks this way but to leslie my wife i was <laughs> i remember when i used to read the bible so <laughs> simplistically you know and just i mean and and jeff honestly helped help save our marriage in mm-hmm. lots of ways because it was and anyway <laughs> Lindsay, Lindsay jokes now um, I came home from grad school one time and I had reevaluated my opinion about a certain story in the Bible. And I came home and told her, and she was like, What? And I just completely just blindsided her. And so I was going to meet with someone not too long ago, and she goes, Oh, just tell them like you told me about that one story. I'm sure it'll go over great. <laughs> yeah, okay. My bad. Sorry about that. I'm a jerk. Okay, so he saved your marriage? Yeah. Uh, and, and to the broader point, it's why I like Richard and, and the. You know, one of the things that probably moved me more than working with church people was like Richard doing jail ministry hmm. and and just finding out the very things that I was becoming allergic to were good news to the people that – that and I think most of the, my progressive Christian friends feel the same way in regards of like we want we want to reach out to the marginalized and the suffering and we realize the stuff that we – um, had the most problems with was actually so it helped us revisit it like yeah. to realize all right you know it's substitutionary atonement part of the reason i think white privileged christians who are educated have problems with substitutionary atonement is because of the violence mechanism yeah. i think another part of it is we're not as aware of our the depths of our own sin as people who are accused murderers are that's fair i think it's fair you know what i mean yeah no and, that's fair and and so we can learn a little bit even while we're trying to teach. Like that's not the only thing that the cross is doing. Um, it is very good news that the the cross offers forgiveness of sins because just because I'm not aware of how jacked up I am doesn't mean I'm not jacked up. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Okay. Let's go to Pete Ends. Last one. All right. Left. Um, I felt like it was a few months before or since I last talked to Pete and I thought that maybe his spiritual development would lead him to be less <laughs> vitriolic in his interaction with me and my expectation and hope were unrealized. Yeah, no, that's true. I would like to talk to you about your introduction to the podcast first off. What was the introduction? Well, that's what I want to know. Did you just like roll out of bed and turn on your microphone? Like, hey guys, uh, today is 
Does it sound bad? <laughs> Go back and listen to it. It sounds like you're like, oh, what, what happened today? Um, <laughs> I was playing the drinking game oh, of G.K. Chesterton with a Highland Sermon. <laughs> and so uh, two bottles of Jack later, that's all I could do. <laughs> no, I don't remember what that was. That was Sunday night right after Easter. I posted that. Yep, there it is. Sunday night. Yeah. Sunday that's... nights for preachers. You do not want yeah. to hang out with a preacher on Sunday night. I really shouldn't post podcasts on Sunday nights after church. I really need to get a different day to post them. Yeah. But maybe I will. Or a different day to write just... to say the introduction. What hey, everybody. I hate people right now. And um... <laughs> that came through. <laughs> I'll pray for you. Yeah. But if your house is on fire, I'll come visit you the next day. <laughs> Once it's in ash. Once I no, care that's again. Not yeah. Okay. So. Anything else you want to make fun of me for? No, I think we're good that? at this moment. What was okay? I have. I don't know what the book is about. Is it a memoir? Uh, it's not a memoir. Or, I or meant memoir. to say memoir. Okay. <laughs> I, that I was hoping you'd let it go, but yeah, there's no chance I was going to let that go. <laughs> no, it was. He, he did his personal stuff at the end of the book, which hmm. you know Harper one didn't ask me how I'd organize it, but I would have put that at the beginning of the book. Um, it. It had that as like a secondary piece to it, but it, it was, uh, I mean, it was a really accessible, you know, pop level, you know, book about, you know, sin and certainty, uh, not sin, but more certainty and doubt and questions. Yeah. And I think his story was, you know, the personification of what that looked like. Hmm. And the, what I love the most is, so he has the spiritual experience. If, if you heard the podcast, you don't need to hear me re- recap it, but if you didn't, basically... He's having some professional crisis. Uh, his daughter um, was about to go off for a uh, extended period of time with a uh, like an eating disorder type retreat, you know, center for what turned out to be months, and it was about to come to close. Excuse me, her time there was coming to a close. His career looked like he was making a major transition, and he has this experience around a you know live strong bracelet or something like that, and he felt like it was God. And what I appreciate is because the same sort of critical thinking that his brain causes him to use to deconstruct something like that is what happens in my brain all the time. Mm-hmm. And so there, yeah. <clears throat> I am extremely conservative with using the language of, well, God did this, or, you know, God showed up and did this kind of stuff because I, I just don't know. I'm so critical because I can't say with 100% certainty exactly what that was. Is it just chance? Was it coincidence? How can I 100% confidently say, well, that's God who did, who did this? Yeah. And I like the way that he was able to humbly say, having your brain always on you know, edit mode and critic mode, and I'm going to find the, the, red, the, the word that's, that's out of place, and I'm going to put a red line underneath it to deconstruct it. Eventually, you have to pause that. Like that doesn't lead to life. And I like the way that he worked through all that together. Does, is this a bit like Sarah Bessie's Out of Sorts? Well, Sarah Bessie's did the um, the three phases: the uh, naivete, second naivete stuff, the wilderness, yeah. um, the construction, deconstruction, reconstruction. And so I think that was kind of lens through which her book was written through a bunch of different categories. And so I think that's probably in there somewhat. Obviously, Sarah Bessie was uh, is a big fan of Pete Enns, and she quotes him a lot. So, th- yeah, there's some commonality, but I think there's. Have you ever read uh, 
Jamie Smith's Thinking in Tongues. James K. A. Smith's uh-huh. Thinking in Tongues. No, I just got his copy of his new, newest book, but I haven't read anything. So that the new one's a great one, but the I, I read it for the Holy Spirit series that I'm working on right now. And one of the things he says as a Pentecostal Calvinistic postmodernist, um, which me and you were talking about this earlier, it seems like one of those categories should cancel other categories out. But he, um, I can't p- put him in a box. I'd cancel the Calvinism out if I could. Is that that's what you would cancel? Of, out? That's where I'd start with. Yeah. That's so where I'd start. he he basically is giving a robust um, kind of philosophical explanation for Pentecostalism, and one of the things he does is he talks about how on the day of Pentecost there are different interpretations. This is his postmodern philosophy coming out about what is happening, and one group of people are saying, "Oh, these men have just had too much wine to drink." Mm-hmm. And Peter stands up and offers a different interpretation of reality that involves the Holy Spirit's activity. And so even on that day, there's contested interpretations. Well, that's good. Right? Yeah. And it made me think of that when you were talking about the live strong yeah. stuff. Every day of our life, there's going to be contested interpretations about what is happening in reality. And to be able to you know, take it out of the enlightenment certainty, you know, I got to be 100% certain before I can say this is the hand of God and be able to say, what if God, what if we were a people of maybe who were always looking at how God might be working around us? Yeah. Um, yeah. Is that, is that kind of what he was doing there? Yeah. Yeah. And what I, I feel like there needs to be a step where you, you, you go from this, Oh God did everything. That parking spot. That's clearly God giving me a parking spot. And you need to like break that down and go, yeah. okay, that's not really what's happening because if you, you flesh that out and keep going long enough in that you get in some really tight corners yeah. that are going to have a really right. good shot at like squelching your faith and squelching your ability of understanding God is good. Like those things don't typically end well. But after that, when you get to the other side and you can have this, as Ian Cron talks about, like this Catholic imagination, mm-hmm. Or you always go back to the word enchanted, like where you see the world as enchanted, like it's full of God and God is in all of this. Yeah. I I want to get there. That's the kind of person I want to be. But I feel uncomfortable unless people are, they can give you a a tip of the hat and go, we know there's some questions that you've got to ask before you get to this place. You just can't start right there. Right, right. So there's uh, there's a part of the podcast where he says something addressing this. He says the Christian faith is transrational, and that's a really important sentence, mm-hmm. especially for people in, in our tribe because we are all rational for the most part. And, um, you know, Randy Harris is a spiritual director. He's a friend of the show. Um, he he went to contemplative prayer and got me to start doing contemplative prayer because he said there are just – you can't get there with your intellect. And a lot of times we use our intellect to actually protect us from God. Um, not that we're anti-intellectual, mm-hmm. but that you, God is going to always be bigger than anything you can wrap your mind around. Yeah. If someone had never heard the word transrational before, how would you define transrational for them? Transcending rational? Like outside of... <laughs> <laughs> that was the worst definition ever. You just said that the word or it was slower. perfect, or it was perfect. It's predestined means it's pre the destining. <laughs> yeah, that is the worst definition ever. It it is 
it is something beyond what you can understand with logic. Yeah. Where you like, have to, this is not something that's going to fit on your spreadsheet. You can't put it in a calculator. You can't put this in a mathematical equation to make sense of it. Yeah. Which, and, which means you need something more robust than the case for Christ to get your Christ case to be substantial. Like, you can't just say, well, there's enough documents. And if you look at, you do an archaeological dig here, like, that's ultimately going to come up a little bit short. So, first off, now you're never going to get Lee Strobel on your show. Oh, so, hope so you're sad. happy. Hmm. Um, and th- I need I mean, to read the book called The Case for Me Caring. So, tra- here's the trace case for what? Nothing. So, here's I, – I think it's easy to set up a straw man here and, and be like, uh, you know, Josh McDowell or whatever. The, the, deeper, the deeper caution, I think, for people like me and you, Luke, is going to be – Hiding behind commentaries. Not that those things aren't really important and needed. Are you saying that just because I'm sitting in front of a bunch I of commentaries? Am, I am saying that just it because also, you're... It also means you can't hide behind Superman comics. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any Superman comics in my office. That is a spiritual discipline of mine. Mm. Um, so, I, I mean... I, and I'm all for commentaries, and I'm all for like doing the exegetical work and and the stuff that you need to do for preaching and, and learning about God. But there is there is a great temptation, I think. Like, okay, so the guy who wrote the the editor of the TDNT, um, Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, Kittle. You know, I think we've talked about this before, haven't we? That he was a, a Nazi. Yes. He he died before he could be brought to crime. I mean, it's just. It's stuff like that, like your intellect often in, in can protect you from the living God. Soren Kierkegaard's thing about uh, people hide hide behind their their exegesis stuff because they they want to hide what the New Testament actually says. Yeah, um, yeah I get that. The, yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's a there is a sense in which there's something real and alive here. That is bigger than us, and it scares us because yeah. it involves surrendering to a lot of mystery. Yep, that's good. Okay, so I got to get to work. We're gonna have to wrap this up. So, okay. in conclusion, have you seen Superman versus Batman yet, or Batman? I have. We shouldn't talk. Have about you? It. Yeah, I have. There's someone might not have. Oh. Well, we don't have to say the end or anything. Okay. Well, what are you dying to say then? It's a good movie. I, I think the critics got into negative a, f- a negative feedback loop, and nobody wanted to be like, well, um, actually. I didn't hear any critics. I saw it Thursday night, and I would have co-signed. I wish they would get Christopher Nolan and Christian Bale back involved and let them Oh, sure, if you're comparing it, it to that. But I would heard all those bad reviews, and I was thinking, oh, this is going to be a train wreck. I, I watched it, thurs- and it wasn't. Thursday night, and a tear fell down my cheek as I was thinking about how heartbroken your little heart was going to be when you saw that movie. It's not good, and, you know, it's just... you. So you didn't like it at all? I, I mean, if the option is, like, staying home and watching HGTV, um, yeah, I would rather go to the movie and watch that one. Okay. I, I mean, I'd give it, like, a 7 out of 10. You're very generous. And part of it is because I love Superman. I love seeing Superman fly and... 
I mean, I'm a little boy in, in movies like that again. But here's another thing. <laughs> I would have – if there's another one, I, I want to watch it with you just because I, I want to watch you get giddy. I love when you get giddy. Oh. Like I can imagine you with like a soda that's the size of your entire upper body <laughs> and then your bucket of popcorn that's like spilled all over your shirt. And My mouth was open the whole time. <laughs> just so happy. And, um, and it wasn't necessarily a fun movie, but – I, I thought it was good. Did you cry a little I, bit during the movie at some points? Um, you did? Oh, my goodness. I was trying not to – I was trying to answer your question to not give stuff away in the movie like you said. Here's the thing about uh, He dies. About Who cares? Poets, he dies. And this is my second so Chesterton it's, thing. It's, it's been out long enough. He's dead. Are you ready for my second Chesterton no, thing? No, we got to go now. We're out of time. It's in an hour. <laughs> He says there are twenty minor poets. There are twenty minor poets who can fairly describe impressively an eternity of agony. There are very even. There are very few even of the eternal poets who can describe ten minutes of satisfaction. How does that have and anything to do with Superman? Critics, like it is really, really easy to poke holes in stuff, and um, really, really hard to make stuff. To, yeah. yeah, that's true. That's true. And but Chris, you know, but Christopher I thought, Nolan could have made a, a really good one. You're right. Christopher Nolan was amazing. His work was really good, and um, I think the first his, Batman was one of the, my favorite movie going experiences in a long time. Like I thought, the second one. Was. Yeah, yeah. I, the first one, I think I watched it multiple times in a week, and I I can't remember any other movie I've done that since or before. You kind of you see it as like your origin story. What's your origin story? Hmm? What's your origin story? I feel like I was uh, like um, Iron Man's nemesis. The one who's the guy uh, who played the wrestler. Uh, yeah, you know talking yeah. About? Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke. Yeah. Yeah. He was underground, just working his craft while you're up <laughs> on the high life, just living the dream. And I'm just in my craft, doing my work underground. And I'm eventually going to come out, and I'm going to electrocute you. Wait, so I'm your nemesis? Yeah, I'm Iron, Iron Man? Well. So that – I win. I mean you've seen no, that movie, that's right? You forgot. <laughs> no, I like no. it. Go on, craft worker <laughs> in the cave. <laughs> just, I'm just a uh, – Fueled by vengeance and – No, I'm just a humble worker. I just go about my business and – Yeah. I'm going to kill Iron Man. <laughs> All right. That's what drives me to wake up in the morning. No. <laughs> I can't believe your origin story. You could have picked anything, and okay. you pick a bad guy who loses. <laughs> you know what? It's it's all about the journey, not the not the conclusion. So yeah, I me, guess I guess so because you concluded a long time ago with that story. Who's your origin story? Oh, Clark Kent. Oh yeah, Cause, yeah. Because you come from a different planet. Thank was you. Smallville actually Arkansas? Or was was Arkansas like the other planet that shot you into Texas? <laughs> Which one is it? Like, is that the foreign country? Foreign oh, planet or whatever? Yeah. It, t- my weakness would be to, like, take bits of Arkansas dirt mm-hmm. and... No. Or, like, Walmart bags. <laughs> one of the two. <laughs> same thing. Same thing. Uh, okay. Get it. <laughs> We're done here. Would that make Rick actually like the... Uh, Jonathan Kent? No, like the the mom of Superman, because he has far more connection to her than the dad, right? Is the dad part of the story? Yes. Oh, okay. John, Jonathan Martha Kent. Rick and Jamie Ashley would be Jonathan Martha Kent in your metaphor. 
Um, but I love my parents as well. So, hmm, who do you love more? Of my parents? No, your 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 parents are the ad. <laughs> oh, I see what you're doing here. <laughs> yeah. Which okay, if you're going to do the Superman story, then who am I in the story? Well, obviously you're Lex now. <laughs> no, I hate that. Well, actor. you're picking He's... to be the nemesis. No, I don't want to be the nemesis. I was just thinking you myself... had a wide open opportunity to be. I was in, just thinking any hero, and then you you made it personal. Mm-hmm. I'm just working on my craft while you're up in the high life. And I just see myself as a humble you. worker. I'm just <laughs> doing my work, and then that's that's my origin story. I don't see myself <laughs> as the savior of the world like you. I don't see myself as having an excuse to wear spandex all the time like you actually are doing right now. <laughs> That's the difference. Okay. I have preached in spandex before. You, in Superman uniform spandex. I, I don't even have to say it was. To it that. was the wrong decision. What made you think it wasn't the wrong decision? Somebody talked me into it. Who's that? I thought my, Michael you, Peters, one of my... You should you know never Michael. talk to Michael again. <laughs> Ever. Yeah. You, I have that similar instinct. See, people have told me that about other friends I've had. Hmm. So. Yeah, bad Brad. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. See you, Jonathan. Thanks right. for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned. <laughs>